Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. It's Family Sunday, so we have our kids with us uh, today. And um, in just a minute, I'm going to share, uh, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, I just got back from Kenya. I'm going to share some pictures and such, but I just wanted to share something to um, kind of along the lines of what we were just doing. Um, Carrie, I really appreciate you sharing what you shared. Um, because it's true, a lot of us come into gatherings like this and we feel like we have to just kind of put on a happy face. And honestly, this morning I was feeling the same thing, um, that I said kind of tough through some things. Uh, and I wasn't even going to share this, but um, right in the middle of my trip to Kenya, I, I got a phone call from, uh, or not a phone call, I got a, <laughs> a message from my sister that my dad's health had suddenly kind of um, come into question, and they had to rush him to a hospital. And uh, shortly after um, they got him there, they realized there was lesions on his spine. And long story short, um, he's got stage four to five cancer, and um, things have accelerated super quickly. And I was able to talk with him on the phone yesterday. He's actually at a, at a hotel in Reno, Nevada, a hotel, hospital in Reno, Nevada. Um, and the, the lyrics that we just sang, the lion of Judah who conquered the grave. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> um, I'm grateful my dad knows Jesus and he loves Jesus. And when we were talking yesterday, there was no fear in his voice. There was, no, there was no fear at all. And he, he said to me, he said, hey, whether, I, whether we, we get to talk for five minutes today and that's it, or we, we're talking again next year, it doesn't matter. Like, God is with me. And um, so I share that um, not, not for sympathy or for anything else, but just to know that, like, um, that in, these, in these spaces that we gather, people are dealing with all sorts of different stuff. They're bringing all sorts of different things in. And this is why I think it, it matters to be honest with each other in relationship. We don't have to smile when we're not feeling good. Um, and so thank you again, Carrie, and, and for those other of you that shared as well. Um, yeah, more to, see, more to come on that. I would appreciate your prayers. I'm flying um, first thing tomorrow morning to, to see him. Um, so I appreciate those of you that know. Some of you have even met him as he's visited here. So um, with that, I did want to share... Um, a couple of things this morning. I want to share a little bit. There's a little bit of like a hum. I don't know if you can hear that. Uh, bassy. Boom, boom. Um, I wanted to share uh, a few stories of pictures from the, the trip to Kenya recently. Um, many of you know Simon and Joyce and Beth who are there. In fact, Simon and Joyce are on their way back this weekend, I believe, uh, from, from Kenya. Um, and then uh, I want to share just kind of a, the, the third part of like a little mini-series that we've been doing on spiritual practices, and I'll make that brief. But um, just to start, this is Simon. Uh, many of you know him. Him and his wife, Joyce, have been a part of our church for uh, more than a decade. And uh, when they invited me to come, he said, I want you to stay with me. So that as soon as I landed, 3.30 in the morning in Kenya, he picked me up at the airport, and then we drove two hours uh, back to his house in the country. And this is Simon and Joyce's house. And when I say country, it's in the country. No, no paved roads. They had no electricity or running water in their house. You see the big tanks on the side that collect the water. And it was, uh, it was a really awesome, um, a beautiful place to be. That's their front yard. 
So, you know, in our front yards in America, we plant grass. So, um, they plant corn and mango trees and utilize it well. Uh, so I had some, some amazing food when I was there. Um, right before uh, I came to visit, they had just had a big family gathering, I think 50 people at their house, and they had to borrow some chairs from their local church. And they were returning the chairs, but they don't have a vehicle to do that. So this was how they returned the chairs. This was the day after I was there. Simon has two cows, and they hitched them up to a wagon and then took them back to their church. While I was there, I got to visit several churches in the area. One of them is the Africa Inland Church in Kenya. And the way that a lot of churches work in villages like this is they'll have like a, a hub church, like a mother church, and then they have branch churches. And many of them are really close to each other. But the reason they're close is most people don't have transportation, and so the churches need to be walkable. And so this is the headquarters uh, of the Africa Inland Church, um, where right in Simon and Joyce's village there. I got to share with a women's group that was uh, having an event during the midweek, and this is a picture of them in that, uh, in that building. Uh, one of the branch churches, the one that's closer to Simon's house, is where he attends worship on Sundays, and this is it. Um, I got to also meet with them and some of their leaders for uh, a, a meeting, and we're looking at potentially in a year from now or so uh, taking some folks back there to, to work uh, to partner with them in some ministry opportunities. Um, when I was there, I asked them if I could take a picture to show our church. And this is, this is just primarily the church leaders. Um, there's about 50 people that are in this church. And when I went out to take the picture, well, you, this is what happened. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. I said, I just want a picture. And then they burst into song, which I loved. Um, so very warmly welcomed there in the village. So I went from a few days in the village, uh, then back to Nairobi, which is a capital city of about 10 million people or so. While there, I connected with another member of our church that many of you know named Beth. Uh, Beth is there uh, just to the second from the, the right next to the man in the blue shirt. And I'm with Simon and Joyce as well. And I spent a, a few days in the city. I did do a little bit of tourism. Uh, they wanted to take me on a big safari. I said, I don't have time for that. So they took me to what's called the Animal Orphanage that's right there in Nairobi. And I met uh, one of my best friends there, a uh, little, little giraffe. This one was rescued as, as a baby and now, as you can tell, is very used to, to uh, people. Um, while, while in the city, I got to, uh, to meet uh, some other uh, church leaders. Um, and uh, I'll show you just a clip uh, of, the, of the city life. Um, one of the things that struck me is how many people walk in the city of Nairobi. You know, in, a, in America, we typically have one to two to three cars, right? Uh, which is, I just want you to know, that's not normal. Uh, in fact, I, I remember doing some research a while ago. If you own one car, you're in the, the top 10% of the world's richest people. The world. One car. Um, so that's not common, but here's, here's just a little glimpse of, of, a, of a city, a street in Nairobi. 
you can see in the, if you, it's hard to tell, but in the straight ahead, if you're looking straight ahead, there's a street that's just thousands of people walking just kind of straight as we turn there. So, so Nairobi was a, a very busy city. Um, the, the people in, in Kenya were so friendly, so welcoming. I, I felt at ease and at peace the whole time. Was it three Sundays ago, I was worshiping in this church. This is Nairobi Baptist Church. And if it looks big, it's because it is. Uh, 3,000 people, quite the contrast from the 50-person church in, in the village. And uh, they, they knew a visiting uh, pastor from America was there, and they had me stand up and, and give greetings as well. Um, this is me and Beth in the worship service. And uh, she, all of them want me to say hello. Uh, Beth won't be back for another month, but you'll be able to see her then. Um, after my time in Nairobi, I met with the lead pastor there who actually may be with us this summer. He's talking about coming to Seattle, so if so, um, we'll have him, him share at our church as well. Um, after Nairobi, I then went to the coast, and um, that's evident by very white legs there. I was wearing shorts. It was very hot uh, in, in Mombasa, Kenya. Uh, it's right on the Indian Ocean. Uh, gorgeous. And I had to go jump in the water because I was remembering winter back in, in here in Seattle. Um, so I went and jumped in the water, and the water was as warm as the air, which is about almost 90 degrees. Uh, you had to look twice to make sure that you were actually in it. It was amazing. Uh, and then at the end of my trip, my last meeting was with a, a, a former pastor. Actually, he had been the pastor at Nairobi Baptist Church, who then saw a lot of the issues with the, the social and cultural issues in his country and said, uh, I think God is calling me to get involved with politics, to enact social change. And so he was a congressman for 10 years uh, there in Nairobi, very influential man. I mean, potential presidential candidate type of man, uh, but loved Jesus and really wanted to see uh, the kingdom of God be present in his country in more um, dynamic ways. So those are just a few pictures. Um, one of the goals in this trip, other than to visit church members, and I'll just throw this out. If you're ever like visiting family in Hawaii and you want a pastoral visit, just give me a call. Um, <laughs> I'll go down the street, I'll go to Kenya, I'll go to Hawaii, wherever you, wherever you are, just say, hey, I need a pastoral visit, I'll come. Um, beyond that, beyond visiting our church members in their country, one of the prayers was that we might be able to make some contacts to, to form partnerships in ministry. And I can say certainly that happened. And so we are praying, our leadership is talking about what would it look like if we took a small group of people going back to Kenya within a year um, to work with some of these churches. And for some of you, maybe it would be your first time getting out of the country. I'll tell you what, when you get out of your comfort zone and when you see what God is doing to other parts of the world, it will change you. And so I, I'd even ask you now, pray, begin to pray about that if God might put that on your heart. And we'll be sharing more about that uh, in the days ahead. All right. So there's a... There's a um, a spiritual practice that I want to talk about today, and we're just going to make this briefly, but there's a concept in life that, uh, that many of us are shocked to learn as we grow, and the concept can be summed up like this. There's more to it than that. And let me give an explanation. When I was younger, I was in high school, and I was thinking about the, my graduation. And I was just talking to Isaac, who plays electric guitar for us. He's a senior in high school. He's getting ready to graduate. And I remember thinking, what do, I, what do I want to do as soon as I graduate? And I wanted to travel. I wanted to get out of my hometown. And I thought, you know what? I, Australia sounds cool. Here's what I'm going to do. 
I have a little bit of money in savings. I'm going to buy a plane ticket to Australia, and I'm going to stay there for a couple weeks. And then, you know what? If I like it, I'm going to get a job, and I'm just going to stay there and live. I thought, pretty simple, right? Like, you just do that. Later on, somebody came to me and said, Andrew, there's more to it than that. Like, you can't just fly to a country and decide you're going to live there. There's a whole immigration process, and you have to get a visa, and it's not that easy. How many of us do that, right? We think, uh, we, 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 maybe something we haven't experienced, we think, oh, it'll just be like this. Once I graduate high school, I'm just going to go to college. Well, there's more to it than that. You have to apply. You have to have grades. You have to have money. There's more to it than that, right? Or, or we think, hey, once I graduate from college, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get my dream job. Just no problem. It'll be waiting for me. As soon as I get my degree, I just step right into it. Well, we realize, what? There's more to it than that. Uh, once I get married, oh man, life is gonna be so good. Say it with me. There's more to it than that, right? <laughs> From the outside in, we tend to look at um, things that we maybe haven't experienced uh, one-dimensionally, and when we realize it's more to it than that, there's more to it than that. And it's the same thing for our Christian faith as well. Oh, if I just spend X amount of minutes in the Bible, then everything will be better in my life. Well, there's more to it than that. If I just spend 15 minutes a day in prayer, there's more to it than that. And so as Christians, we, ha we, we have to understand that a one-dimensional faith, like just doing something or thinking of it in that way, is never going to be what we think it is. A one-dimensional faith is flat. The last few weeks, we've been in this mini-series on spiritual practices. Uh, Aaron talked about Sabbath. And we realized that there's more to it than just not working. There's an intentionality and a relationship and a and a focus that happens when we rest and we focus on who God is. Last week, we talked about prayer and Bible reading. And we talked about how it's more than just having a schedule, but it's about integrating the, the, the practices of, of God into our everyday life, at our tables, at our workplaces, at our work. Because our Christian faith is more than just, what, Sunday morning, right? There's more to it than that. And so this morning, briefly, I just want to talk about the spiritual practice of gathering. And let me, let me say up front, yes, it's more than Sunday morning. There's more to it than that. You know, one of the things that made my head explode during COVID was how many times I heard people say, the church is closed. Can you believe the government would close the church? Can you? And, and I went, wait a second. Is the church just a gathering? Is the church a building or a meeting time from 10.30 to 12 o'clock every Sunday? Or is there more to it than that? Well, as a church, we knew that there was. That's why we, we started distributing food on Tuesdays. And we still were connecting through Zoom and on phone calls and in small social distance groups. We knew there was more to it than just Sunday morning. So this morning, I just want to encourage us as we think about the, the spiritual practice of gathering to think bigger than Sunday morning, but not less than Sunday morning. Real briefly, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, let's look at that briefly together. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Verse 42. 
we don't get a lot of specific detail of what the early church did. We don't know if they handed out bulletins or how long they met or what time. They didn't have websites or sound systems. We don't know all the things that they were about, but we get a snapshot right from the beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And it says, speaking of the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, there's a bunch of significant things here, right? They're, they're, they're committed to the teaching of God's word that was being delivered by the apostles, the same ones that had sat with Jesus and, I'm, I'm guessing, taken notes of what Jesus was preaching. And then they communicated those together. They, they, they were devoted to teaching. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to, to fellowship with each other. But the thing that stands out to me as an obvious theme here is that the, the followers of Jesus were together. Together. Meals, finances, worship. They were involved in each other's lives. They were with. And of course, that means that, that nobody uh, ever got in any fights. Everybody got along. There's, there's no issues over politics or pandemics. And there are endless donuts at all their gatherings, right? Of course not. <laughs> but what we read from Acts chapter 2 still shows that they had some intentional rhythms and that their relationships were strong. They were with God was doing something in forming this new community. In fact, we know right before this that they were all very different people, different ethnicities, different languages. It was a multicultural church right from the beginning. So there was plenty of opportunity for people to misunderstand each other or to do things that one culture accepted and the other culture thought was weird. Yet they didn't let that affect their ability to gather, to be unified in spirit. Now, about 30 years later, in Scripture, we get a, a sense that the priority of some of these church communities, because they would be, begin to multiply, some of the priorities were shifting a little bit, probably away from this togetherness. Hebrews 10.24 says this, Let us consider, this is an, uh, uh, an encouragement to the church, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so we, we can infer from this something as well, right? That maybe that close-knit community was starting to get a little bit fragmented. Maybe it wasn't as close as it once was. Maybe those gatherings and that being with each other was becoming less and less of a priority, and so this letter, what does it do? It says, don't give up meeting together because it's in the meeting together that we become more like Christ. It's in the meeting together that we experience the love of God. It's in the meeting together that God is at work. You know, when I found myself doing the same thing for a long time, 
I find it helpful to ask some questions. Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I check my phone first thing in the morning? (laughs) Why do I pray? Why do I read the Bible? Like, what's the point of these things? And so we could ask that question. Gathering is important, but why? You know, one of the biggest shifts for the church, I'm talking about the church, the big church in the world even, you could say, happened during the pandemic. And it was, the the big shift was, how do we stay connected when we can't be in the same physical space as each other, when we can't see each other? Now, the whole world was experiencing this, right, with their family, with their friends, with their work. But the church was experiencing this as well. How do we still be the church when we can't be present with each other? And so as a church, uh, many people, many churches went, okay, well, one of the things we can do is elements of our Sunday gathering, we can live stream those. Elements of our Sunday gathering we can do on Zoom. We can have small group together via Zoom. We can sing songs at a screen. It was one of the weirdest things for me because we were pre-recording our, our messages at the time to be sitting in my front room with my family watching myself preach. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so we, we learned how to do some of the things that we do in person. We learned how to do those things virtually. In fact, many of you may not know this, but Facebook and YouTube dedicated employees to helping churches figure it out. And in, in fact, the first month, so many tech problems were happening because Facebook and YouTube were getting overwhelmed in their live stream capability because thousands of churches all around the world were utilizing that technology. What, a, what an amazing time to live, right, that we could do that. But here's the reality that's a little bit more sad about this. On the backside of COVID, many people never came back. Many people never went back to their home churches and began to gather again. Why is that? Well, if church, if being a part of the church is simply content, like just getting a message and, and, and singing some lyrics, well, if it's simply like that, then it's, it's like a Coldplay concert and a TED Talk, as one person said. Well, we can get that whenever we want, can't we? And honestly, you can hear a lot better preachers than me (laughs) from somewhere else. And you can hear amazing music. And you can do it at your own convenience, on demand. If that's all church is, is content, then why go on Sunday? But it's not, is it? Church is the people of God, changed by the grace of God, living for the glory of God. And so what unfortunately happened is church became less about the gathering, about being with, and more about content. And this is what happens when consumer culture infects church culture. I've often said this to people before. Um, Sometimes we view worshiping with a church family like the same as where to get a cheeseburger. Like there's a jack-in-the-box up, up the street. There's a five guys down at the landing. There's a Burger King on Sunset Avenue. There's so many options. And depending on how you like your burger done, you can go there and get it. In fact, <laughs> I, th- I think it's Burger King. It says, have it your way, right? Have it my way. I can get it just 
how I want it, when I want it. And now I can even just have it delivered to my house. I don't even have to go out to get it. When consumer culture infects church culture, we view the gathering as the same way as getting a cheeseburger. So what is it? What's the big idea? The, divine, the defining value of our faith isn't church attendance. The defining value of our faith is love. John 13, 35 says this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Say that with me, love one another. So why do we gather? Why is Christian community important? Why do we gather? Why is Christian community important? Why is spiritual gathering a discipline or a practice? Well, first, the, the spiritual practice of gathering is rooted in love. We talked about this last week. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God. But then there's another one that Jesus adds to it. To love your neighbor as yourself. And as Hebrews 10 just says, to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Now, you can try and do that virtually if you want. You can send a text. Or you can make a comment on somebody's uh, social media post. But to really practice love, you have to be with, don't you? Again, Carrie was being honest about the challenges of being a parent. To grow in love, to grow in patience, to grow in those areas that we need to grow in, we have to be with people. And being with others is essential because we are embodied people. We are flesh and blood, emotions and personalities. We have unique hairstyles and quirky laughs. We have strengths and weaknesses. And we are all a work of grace that is still in process. Amen? So the spiritual practice of gathering is rooted in love. The spiritual practice of gathering points to the heart of God. During Christmas, we sing the song Emmanuel, which means what? God far away and kind of disgusted with us. No, God with us. God with us. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, came into our space. God came near. And so when we draw near to others, then it is in that we are truly following the ways of Jesus. You want to know how to to follow Jesus better, be with people. Love God, love people. One of my favorite stories is after Jesus' resurrection, Luke chapter 24, the road to Emmaus. He's walking with two people and they don't know him. They don't recognize him. They know that Jesus is dead and they're talking about that. And it isn't until they sit down at a roadside restaurant and Jesus breaks the bread and blesses the food, that all of a sudden they go, oh, Jesus is here. He's with us. Later on, Jesus reveals himself to his disciples by barbecuing some fish on the shore. I love these pictures because Luke's gospel, more than any other, about two-thirds of Jesus' interactions with people are over food. Who here likes to eat? 
If that doesn't say something about how we're called to live out our faith, to be with people, man, let's have meals together. Let's share coffee. Let's be with each other. The spiritual practice of gathering points to the heart of God, which is to be with us. The spiritual practice of gathering, and I'll just end with this, is warfare. One of the things that Jesus was most concerned about for his followers was unity. And when we choose to be with others different than ourselves on a weekly basis, we become part of a spectacle of grace. You would hang out with those type of people? That's what was often said of Jesus over and over and over again. When we choose to be with each other, involved in each other's lives, supporting each other, gathering with each other, no matter the differences, we point to the prayer that, we highlight the prayer that Jesus prayed, that we would be one. I'm going to be honest, there are times, and I'm sure you felt like this, when I've been getting ready to go to like a, a small group Bible study, or when I've had a meeting on my calendar to meet with some brothers, or honestly, I'll, I'll it's dangerous to admit this as a pastor, but even on Sunday morning, I'm getting ready to go engage in these types of relational activities, and in my flesh, it is the last place I want to be. I want to just stay here on the couch and watch TV. It's comfortable. It's easy. I can almost feel an overwhelming sense of like, of how can I get out of this? How many of you have ever felt that before? Let's be honest. Like everybody that's here this morning, right? You felt that this morning. It was cold outside and my cup of coffee is so warm and pastor won't notice. <laughs> There's lots of other people. How many of us have felt that? But then we push through and we go. And then we realize of all the places I should have been, that was it. What would I have missed and we're actually revived and we feel like the opposite of how we felt before we left. Why do we feel this way? Because there is nothing that the enemy would want you to do more than to stay isolated, to stay home, to miss out, to not connect. This is the opposite of being with, isn't it? And this, this kind of thing is only magnified by the immense isolation and disconnection that digital media has perpetrated in our lives. We think we're connected because we can see somebody. We can hear the content, but we are as disconnected as we've ever been. It's fake. It's an illusion. And we wonder why anxiety is at all-time levels, why, why people are feeling more depressed than they've ever felt, because digital screens create an illusion, but they're not the real thing. This is a, a comic that I came across recently. Isn't it great to have some quality time with the family, the mom's saying? They're all on devices, including the dog. <laughs> so I could go on this morning and talk about the, the different reasons why gathering's important. We could, we could go through scripture. Or we could come up with a 50-point list. And we could come up with theological reasons why it's important that we gather not just on Sunday, but regularly, why we're involved in each other's lives, while we're pursuing relationship. But there's more to it than that. God's desire is for you and me to know his grace, to experience his love, 
in ever-deepening ways. And the best way is for us to experience that by being with. This is God's design. We best fulfill the commandment to love him when we practice loving each other. After all, that's what Jesus did for us. And so in just a moment, we're going to do something that was specifically prescribed by Jesus to do. And, and, and Jesus, when he, when he talked about the bread and the cup, one of his last meals together, it was designed to be with, in community, not an isolated event. And so when we take communion, which we're going to do in just a moment, it reminds us of a few things. It reminds us of lots of things, but here's three that come to mind for me. Number one, it reminds us of God's provision, both for our bodies and for our souls. When we eat food, it reminds us of what we need and how God provides it. But when we take of the bread and the cup, remembering Jesus, it reminds us of what he gives us. The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. And how did he do that? By his love. So communion reminds us of that. Communion also reminds us of God's promise that he's going to return. And he guarantees that we will never be alone. God is with us now. So even when we aren't gathered, we have the presence of the Spirit with us. Tomorrow when I get on a plane and I'm flying to my father, I'm reminded that God is with me as I'm on that plane. As I'm sitting with him in his hospital room, God is with me. And God is with my father as well. So communion reminds us of this, this guarantee that we will never be alone, that he is with us. And communion also reminds us of the everlasting love of God, that Jesus took on flesh, and then he didn't stop there. He didn't come down just to have like a dinner party with us and say, hey, just so you know, I'm real. Care about you. All the things that you've heard before are true. He didn't come just to take on flesh, but he came to take on flesh. Then he came to take on our sin, which kept us from knowing God, which kept us from the reality of his love. He said, all of the stuff that you're dealing with, all the, the mistakes that you've made, I'm going to deal with those. He took on flesh, then he took on our sin. And because of that, we can be with, with God. We can have his presence in our lives today. And we can also know that one day, on the other side of death, we'll be with him in eternity, fully free from sin, with restored everything. And I'm looking forward to that. So we're going to close our worship time today. You've chosen to be with this morning, and I think I'm grateful for that. But let's make it, as a church, let's make it way more than Sunday. Let's commit to gathering together. Let's commit to being known and letting others fully know us. It takes boldness to come up and share where we're at from, in front of 150 people with a microphone. But sometimes it's more intimidating to do it over coffee even. Let's be a type of people that can be honest so that we can allow the love of God to deepen us in our relationships. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, if, if we can't be real here, then where can we be real? 
You, you modeled that for us as well. You were with us, but you were also real. You, you, didn't, you weren't excited about the suffering and death that you had to face. You even asked if there was another way. But ultimately, you took on what we couldn't. You took on the penalty for our sin in full, and you removed its power from keeping us from you. Because of your life, your death, and your resurrection, you created a way for us to know peace in this life, to know the true definition of love. And Lord, as we take this morning as one body, as one church, as we take the bread and the cup together, we do this proclaiming, re, re shouting from the rooftops that you are good, that you love us, and that it is by your blood, by your flesh, by your sacrifice that we are made one. And so we do this today, the bread symbolizing your body, the cup symbolizing your blood, as a remembrance not just of the past, but also what is still to come in the future. So church family, when you are ready, come forward and take the bread and the cup. And in doing so, this is a unifying act of worship that we do together. We proclaim his resurrection until he returns. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.